We are here in Isaiah 7 today, Isaiah 7, 1 through 9. Uh, I've told this story before, so some of you will remember it, others won't, but the closest, as far as I know, that I ever came to dying a violent death. So there's a good opening for a story, right? Uh, I was headed up, up north on I-45. I was just past where Gallery Furniture is. It was a rainy day. Y'all know if you've lived in Houston, uh, what happens to the freeways in Houston when it rains a hard rain. And uh, I was driving a, an 86 Camaro. I was 20 years old. Believe me, I was not worthy of that car. It was going way too fast. And suddenly I became aware of the fact that my tires weren't in direct contact with the pavement anymore. And y'all, that is a bad feeling. And I did what my brain told me to do, which was I hit the brakes. And that caused the car to go into a spin. Now, I don't know how long this lasted. It was probably three or four seconds. In reality, it felt like an eternity. I was pretty sure I was dead at that point. All I could do is my car rotated counterclockwise slowly and skidding 70 miles an hour down the freeway, cars whizzing past me. All I could do was pray because I had no control of the car. And I didn't, my, I was too afraid. I was too panicked to even articulate actual words except for two. I could, I could say the word please and the word Lord. So I just said those words over and over again. Please, Lord, please, Lord, as loud as I could. And when the car finally stopped, I was facing the opposite direction in the un incoming traffic. They had all stopped by a miracle of God. I turned my car around. I, I headed back up the freeway at a much lower rate of speed. And when I got to Carrie's house, I said, um, why don't you drive tonight when we go to the movies? So, um, our series is about what it is to be fearless. And by fearless, I don't mean to be absent of any fear, although you think that's what it means. It's impossible to live in this world and never feel afraid. What we said last week was, it's not feeling afraid that's the sin. It's not when you get worried. It's not when your stomach clenches. It's not when you sweat on the forehead. It's not when you can't sleep at night. God's not mad at you for feeling fear. Jesus felt fear in the Garden of Gethsemane. The fear is what you do with it. The, the problem is what you do when you're afraid. When fear stops you from doing the will of God. What we said last week was, listen to the voice of faith, not the voice of fear. So in that instance, on the freeway. I listened to the voice of fear. The voice of fear said, oh my goodness, you're out of control. You need to stop this thing. How do I stop this thing? By slamming on the brakes. Actually, that's the worst thing you can do when you start to hydroplane a car. If you look it up, it, it tells you when you feel your car start to drift, let your foot off the accelerator and gently, don't you love that word? Gently turn your steering wheel in the direction that you are sliding. And that will cause your, wheel, your, your tires eventually to get traction again, and you can straighten out and head, up, head down the freeway. What I just told you could save your life. You're welcome. But I'm just here to tell you, when you're afraid, that doesn't seem logical. What, turn my wheel the way I'm skidding? Why would I do that? See, this is what fear does. Fear has an upside-down logic. It says things that in the moment seem like they make perfect sense. And often they can be the worst possible thing. Fear tells you lies. So we're going to talk today about the lies that fear tells you and how that causes us to make bad decisions in life. And I got to tell you, I'm not God. And I'll say that again. I am not God. So I don't know who here is struggling with fear and what kind of bad decisions you're in the process of making or will struggle with in the next few days or weeks. But I can be sure that some of you are facing some of this stuff. So have an open heart, ask the Lord to speak and show you where you're believing the wrong voice. 
This is the story of a king of Judah named Ahaz. Ahaz, who was not a believer in God, but he had a chance to turn it all around. All right, so let me give you some background on Ahaz. Ahaz was the son and grandson of faithful kings. He was the king of Judah. Now, this was a time when God's people were split into two different nations. To the north was Israel, to the south was Judah. He was the king of Judah. This is in 735 BC, so about 20 or so years after Amos, who we just got through studying. Here's the thing about Israel, and y'all listen, because this is going to help you with all your Bible reading, especially in the Old Testament. Israel was in this unique position geographically because it's this little tiny country right there on the Mediterranean, and to the south was Egypt, and to the north was always some empire or another. First it was Assyria, then it was Babylon, then it was Persia, then it was Greece. And that put Israel in a delicate position. Because they knew at any moment, either the bully up north or the bully down south could come and invade them and destroy them. And so they always lived in this this sense of fear, this sense of anticipation. When's it going to happen? And the kings of Israel and Judah always had this temptation because they were so afraid. You know, we might as well sign a treaty with one of those. You know, we either become allies with Egypt or with Assyria, and that way we'll have a big guy on our side. But God always told them, don't do that. They will, they will steer you the wrong direction. They will be a bad influence on you. And besides, I am all the protection you need. In fact, God gave David a promise when he was king of Israel. As long as your sons follow me, they will always sit the throne. Nobody will ever depose them. Well, along comes this guy Ahaz, and he is a descendant of David. And again, he is not a believer in Yahweh. And yet, God makes the same promise to him. Trust in me and nobody will overthrow you. The problem was when Ahaz became king as a young man, he was immediately facing a real crisis in his foreign policy because the Israelites to the north and the Syrians had both decided, let's team up and fight back against Assyria, the big empire. And they said to Ahaz, join up with us. Three countries are better than two. Ahaz said, I'm not joining you guys. I'm not going to fight Assyria. They'll kill us. So Israel and Syria said, then we're going to invade you and we're going to overthrow you and put our own guy on the throne. And then we'll have what we want. And it happened. They invaded and Ahaz lost every battle. I mean, every single fortified city in Judah fell, one after the other. One of his sons died in battle. It was awful. All that was left, the only walled city in the the whole nation was Jerusalem. And there Ahaz sat, not knowing what to do next. So here's what happens. In verse 1 of Isaiah 7, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Isn't that a great way to picture what it feels like to be afraid? You've probably been in a big storm. You've seen the trees outside your window being tossed back and forth. That's the way the people of Judah felt. It says in verse 3, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shur Jashub your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Here's what you need to know about Isaiah. He was not a young man. He was not new at this. He had been advising kings of Judah for three generations. So Ahaz's grandfather and father had both listened to the voice of the prophet Isaiah. They had made good decisions because they followed the voice of Isaiah. And Isaiah was not the pastor of a church. 
I am not a prophet. I do my best to preach the word to you and help you understand it. Isaiah was different. Isaiah's words were the words of God. Ahaz had never listened to Isaiah before. He had never followed God. He had never tried to obey God. Isaiah comes to him to say, this is a turning point for you. This is an opportunity. This can be the moment when your whole life turns around. All right, so verse 4. Here's what God says. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Now let's skip down to verse 7. For thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Another translation puts it this way. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. This is your chance, Ahaz. Take a stand for God and see how faithful He is. You've tried it your own way. You've seen what it got you. Here's a chance to do something different. That's the voice of faith, saying trust in God. Do what He says. There's no question of what He should do. Meanwhile, the voice of fear was saying something very different. So what did Ahaz do? Ahaz went into the temple of God in Jerusalem. And instead of getting on his knees and crying out to God for help, instead of offering a sacrifice and saying, I am devoting myself from this day forward to you, O Lord. Instead, he stripped off all the gold from all the furnishings. He took all the implements, all the sacred things in that temple, and he put them in a shipment up north to the king of Assyria, a man named Tiglath Pileser III. One of those great names, right? Sounds like Middle Earth or something. But uh, the king of Assyria said, okay, I'm on your side now. He invaded the Syrians. He invaded Israel. He deposed their kings. Everything was fine. In the short run, it looked like Ahaz made the right decision by not listening to God. But that's the short term. Over the long term, here's what it says in 2 Chronicles 28.20. So Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. You see, it, when you make friends with someone like the Assyrians, it's sort of like inviting a mountain lion into your house to take care of a mouse problem. Yeah, you'll probably get rid of your mice, but you got bigger problems on your hand. The Assyrians, the, the, the gold that he sent from the temple, they said, okay, that's great, but that's just a down payment. And they bled Judah dry. Meanwhile, uh, Ahaz decides to go up and visit Tiglath-Pileser, and he sees the, the, the altar that he worships on, and he says, wow, this is what makes him powerful. He came back to Jerusalem and told the priests of the Lord, okay, I took drawings of their altar. I want this altar instead of the Lord's altar. He ended up locking the doors of the temple. Nobody worshiped the Lord for years. He ended up burning one of his own sons, one of the princes of Judah in the fires to the god of Molech in the, in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. I mean, he was one of the worst kings in the history of God's people. He died at the age of 36. No one mourned him. So what does this faithless king teach us? There are three lies that we see him buy into. And y'all listen up because these are the three lies that fear speaks to you and is probably speaking to you right now. The first one is, just do what feels safest. Just do what makes you feel comfortable. 
In this time of stress, in this time of strain, most of us are not risk takers by nature. Maybe a few of you are. You're that kid that used to, you know, ride your bicycle straight down the, the hill and crash and then get up and say, that was fun and do it all over again. But, but most of us, we're, we're safe people by nature. And so when we have an option, when we have a decision to make, we look at the two options and we say, well, when, we think of, when I think about this one, it gives me heartburn. So I'm going to go with this one, because every time I think about doing this, I feel peace in my heart. So that's what I'm going to choose to do. And y'all, sometimes that is a good thing. Sometimes that is a good idea. But not always. Because our God is not always, y'all listen, our God is not always a safe God. Sometimes He puts us out there where we have to take risks, where we need to step out in faith, where we need to do things that, that are scary to us. And if all we do in our decision-making is say, I'm going to take the safer option every single time, we will miss the will of God. Fear will stop us from doing what is right. I'll just give you some examples, okay? When you were a kid in school and you saw someone being bullied, and this happened then and it happens now, well, you know those nature documentaries where the gazelle has just been captured by a lion and then all the lions are feasting on this poor dead gazelle and all the other gazelles, what are they doing? They're standing over there about 30 feet away. They're just eating grass. I'm like, oh, glad it wasn't me. And that was us when we were in, in school, most of us. I'm glad I'm not the one being beaten up. I'm glad I'm not the one that, that all the other girls are making feel uh, terrible about herself. No one steps up. No one says, I'm going to put my arm around this person and say, if you pick on him, if you pick on her, you're picking on me. Or when you think about people in your own life today and you see them making terrible decisions and destroying their lives, why doesn't someone step up and say, hey, buddy, you've got a drinking problem. You need to get help. Or hey, you, you need to not uh, continue with this relationship you're trying to start. You have a wife. You have kids. Take care of them. Someone needs to grab this person by the lapels and say, you need to stop. But none of us do because it's too uncomfortable. The thought of doing that, it, it makes us stressed out. Somebody else needs to do that. Someone else who's closer. We console ourselves by saying, it's none of my business. The voice of fear overrides the voice of faith. King Ahaz found the idea of an alliance with the pagan empire of Assyria, very, very comforting because he knew it would work. There was no doubt in his mind Assyria could whip Syria and Israel, and they did. On the other hand, following God seemed risky. He, he couldn't see God. He'd never followed God. He'd never seen Him work. Trusting God felt too risky. He chose the safer option in his mind. And the destruction resulted. That, that's not the only example in the Bible. I want to show you something you may not know about in John 12. Just this real brief comment. John 12, 42-43, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him. What does this say? It's talking about Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you know the Bible, you've been in church, you know that Jesus' own people turned on Him. But not His people at large. Not as a whole. Specifically, the religious leaders of His people. They're the ones who conspired against him to hand him over to the Romans. And yet here it says that many of those same leaders actually believed in him, actually thought, yeah, he probably is the son of God. He probably is the Messiah we've been waiting for. But they were too afraid of what this would do to their reputation. Because look what it says. It says, many of the leaders 
Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That is a devastating statement. Human beings not only contributed to the greatest injustice ever, but missed out on salvation because they were afraid of what it would do to the reputation, because they were afraid of what others would think of them if they did the will of God. If you're honest, most of you, including me, can say there have been times when I didn't do God's will because I was afraid of what so-and-so would think of me, because I was afraid this group might make fun of me, because I was afraid I might lose my reputation with these people over here. That's listening to the voice of fear. Second lie that fear tells us, anyone who isn't as scared as you can't be trusted. So here's another story from the life of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples in the boat, in the middle of the, of the Sea of Galilee, there's this massive storm. They're convinced they're going to sink. They're taking on water. They realize Jesus is in the boat with them, but he's asleep. And they wake him up with these words. Mark 4.38 says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you hear what they're saying? Do you not even care that we're all going to die? You're sitting there asleep when you should, be, you should be freaking out like the rest of us. Jesus wakes up. He says, peace be still. The storm is gone. Verse 40, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you listening to the voice of fear instead of the voice of faith? You know, I th what I think offended Jesus was not that the disciples were, were afraid. I mean, this, is, this is like me gliding down the freeway. I, my fear provoked me to pray the most fervent prayer of my life. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. It's what I did when I was afraid that was the problem. The disciples, he wasn't angry with them for being afraid. It's that in the midst of their fear, they thought he didn't care. How could they think that after all they'd seen? After all the time they'd spent with him? How could you think that? Isaiah had advised Ahaz, his father and grandfather, and they had always made the right decision every time they'd listened to him. But Ahaz had all these other voices. He had a team of counselors. And you can be sure those counselors were saying, don't listen to Isaiah. Don't listen to that crazy old man. You need to do what gets you to safety as quick as possible. Don't you see how big and bad Assyria is? Don't you see how big and bad these, these armies are that are about... Haven't you seen that you've lost every other battle? What do you think is going to happen? Now, in a moment of crisis, in a moment of fear, when one person is speaking logic to you, when speaking truth in a calm, even voice, and over here, all these other people are jumping up and down, yelling and screaming, we tend to believe those people because they're as scared as we are. This guy over here may be telling the truth. This wise woman over here may be telling the truth, but you don't trust her because she doesn't seem freaked out. She doesn't seem to take this as seriously as I do. I want you to ask yourself the question, what voices are you listening to on a daily basis? What voices do you listen to? What, what do you put into your mind, in your eyes, in your ears? What podcasts do you listen to? What radio shows? What TV shows? What social media? What is that doing to you? Is it stoking your fear or is it feeding your faith? Y'all, I'm not saying it's all evil. I, I'm, I'm on social media too, probably more than I should be. I'm on it often enough to know that sometimes it produces fear in me that doesn't need to be there. There are controversies I only know about because of social media. And I get all worked up about them. I get all concerned. And I'm like, you know, if I hadn't logged in today, I'd be in a better place. There, there are shows you watch on television that you, you watch them because they, you think you're making yourself more informed. 
about contemporary issues. In reality, what those shows are about is about telling you, we're all going to die. And that's why we watch them. If instead it was a guy who got on and said, let's talk through the issues in a reasonable fashion, no one would watch it. But we watch shows that are about how, you see these people over here? They hate us. They're going to kill us. Let's talk about how evil they are. Now, am I saying it's a sin to scroll TikTok or to watch Tucker Carlson or whoever's on the other side, Rachel Maddow, throw out whatever name. I mean, same boat. No, I'm not saying it's a sin. I can't scripturally support that kind of legalism. But I can say that if you care about your soul, you're going to ask yourself, is this voice stoking my fears or is it feeding my faith? And you're going to learn to limit your access to the things that just make you afraid that just convince you that everything is the end of the world. You're going to limit your access to, to uh, an account or an app that tells you your life is not good enough because you don't look like this, because you don't vacation over here, because you don't wear these clothes, because you don't hang out with these people. You're going to limit your access to things that just fill you with anxiety and dread, and instead, you're going to feed the voice of faith. You're going to open the, God's Word. You're going to be around people who love you. For goodness sakes, you're going to take a walk. You're going to read a good book. You're going to eat good food. You're going to enjoy life and stop listening to these voices that do nothing but inflame your fear. Number three. By the way, one more thing on that. There is one area of fear where you should be growing. You should be growing more afraid every day, and that is the fear of the Lord. That is the only fear that you need to stoke, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. So, number three, the third lie that fear tells us is, and this is the most insidious one of all, righteousness can be set aside in a time of crisis. Essentially, the voice of fear says, I know this is what the Bible says, but these are serious times. This, this is not like ordinary moments. Any other day, I, I'm fine with you doing what the Bible says, I'm fine with you doing the will of God, but now you need to look out for yourself. And, and fear will tell you that over and over again. I guarantee you, Ahaz knew. He'd been raised by a man of God, and, and his grandfather was a man of God. He knew what the truth was. But there was a voice inside his head saying, someday I'll turn to the Lord. By the way, he never did. Someday I'll do it. Someday I'll do the right thing. But not now. Not now. That, it would be too costly now. And, and we as Christians use that kind of upside-down logic all the time. We live in a world where, where moral standards that once were taken for granted have been overturned. And rather than say, yeah, but I have to stand on the truth of God's Word, we say, I'm going to go with the flow. I'm going to compromise because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. I might lose my job. I might lose my reputation. I might lose my friends. Think about young women, and I know this is a very specific example, but I'm not talking about one particular woman because I've seen this happen over and over again, who yoked themselves to terrible, cruel, abusive men just because of the fear of being alone. Think about uh, Christians who do unethical things in their workplace. Every other area of their life, they are squared away serving God, but I've got to bend the rules a little bit at work or else I won't be able to make the kind of income that I need in order to live the lifestyle that I desire. And, and think about this. There's a, a woman in another church I pastored, a good church-going woman. We were friends. We're still friends today. And y'all know this about me by now, uh, I hope. 
if I ever say something in a sermon that you walk away saying, I don't know if he's right about that, I want you to come talk to me. Because again, I'm not God. I can be wrong. Number two, you might have misheard me. Number three, maybe you're wrong and we just need to talk it through. Maybe we just need longer to sit together for you to understand what the word actually means. And I think this is one of those cases. Because I had talked about how, you know, when I was a kid, growing up in a little town, everybody I knew went to church somewhere. And today, I mean, I went from a, a childhood when the only Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists I ever heard about were the people that the missionaries told us about when they came home from the mission field. To today, people of other faiths and no faith at all, they're all around us. They're our neighbors, they're our friends, they're our co-workers, our classmates. And I said, I know that's scary to y'all, but I think we should celebrate it because it means the foreign mission field has come to us. For all those years, we supported foreign missionaries and we should still because there's still a desperate need for that. But now we get to be missionaries too. And we should be excited about that and we should celebrate it and we should take it seriously. And, and my friend emailed me and she said, I had a real problem with you saying that because, because the community that I know, the community that I love has changed so much and I don't like what I see there. And, and she wasn't angry with me. We, we had a very... Uh, civil discussion, but her point was, you're asking me to do something that I can't do. You're asking me to celebrate this and to love these people when the truth is, when I see someone of, the, uh, of another faith uh, move into the neighborhood or at work or whatever, I don't feel love. I feel this resentment. Why are you here? Why are you destroying the, the place that I love so much? And I, of course, I reminded her, Jesus said, love your neighbor. Parable of the Good Samaritan, the, the story of Peter and Cornelius, so many stories in Scripture that, are, that just show God's heart that says when you meet somebody who's totally different than you, that's an opportunity. That is a way for you to show them God's love is for you too. And she said, I agree. You're right. Absolutely. But you have to understand, I grew up in a world where every time my parents sent me out the door, they knew that wherever I was going, their values were going to be affirmed, whether it was at school or at work or at a friend's house. Um, everybody was going to pretty much back up what they were telling me at home. And my kids, my grandkids, they're not experiencing that. And that makes me angry. And in fact, I'm very afraid that the longer this goes, the more they're going to be in the minority. And I don't want that for them. And I said, I get it, because I grew up in that same kind of culture too. But remember, remember, the first Christians were very much in the minority, much more than we will ever be in America. And can you possibly think they didn't they live less full lives than we did they thrived they turned the world upside down this wasn't a detriment to them this was opportunity to them she was struggling with this idea that i know what the bible says but i also know what i feel and i don't want to feel love for these people i, I want to my fear is telling me that they are invaders my faith was telling me love them share the gospel show them christ is real my fear is telling me something different. And I suspect many of you have similar struggles, maybe not on that particular issue, but we're often in a position where fear says one thing and God's Word says something completely different. Maybe you're thinking of a particular instance right now in your own life. Here's what I can tell you. Jesus lived in a world that was full of fear too. 
Jesus lived in a world that they constantly said, hey, take the safe way out. If Jesus had only taken the safe way, He would never have come to this world. He would never have gone to the cross. We, we lived in a, he lived in a world where uh, the voice of fear said, just trust in people who are as scared as you are. But Jesus met people's fear and He brought faith to them. He showed them peace. There's a group of people standing there, peasants, and they were terrified that they wouldn't be able to feed their kids. And Jesus said, God loves you even more than the sparrows, and He knows the name of every sparrow that falls out of the sky. Trust me, God's got you. Jesus lived in a world that said, when, you get, when, it, when it gets down to, the, to brass tacks, when, when you're in a moment of crisis, righteousness should go out the window. It's a time to take care of yourself. But Jesus didn't do that. The ultimate crisis, when his own people turned on him, when the pagans sentenced him to death, he didn't set aside the Father's will. He went to the cross. He died for us. He redeemed us. He defeated death and hell forever. No one ever lived a fearless life like Jesus did. And if you want to live fearlessly, if you want to live a life that overcomes the fears that lie to you, all you got to do is follow him. He will never steer you wrong. Fear will never rule a child who has followed Jesus.